reassuring us about our reasonable and rational faith in the Lord. Here's Pastor Ed Ray. Faith is not gullibility. Faith is not an irrational commitment to beliefs, despite evidence to the contrary. There's a great deal of evidence to support faith. Granted, God is unseeable, but that doesn't mean He's not touchable. Granted, you cannot see the kingdom of God, but the kingdom of God is among you, Jesus said, and it's true today. Zion, now filled with hands, and in this place gotta dwell with man. Sick be healed, and the crippled stand singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son, selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. I said, let this world know me by your love. Often, our faith is pitted against science. Yet the scientist believes his science and the Christian his God for the very same reason. There's good evidence and it's reasonable to do so. Well, hello and welcome to Grow in Grace with Pastor Ed Ray. If you were with us last time, you'll remember we were exploring the subject of our faith in God and what encourages it. We continue in that realm as we make our way through Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians when it comes to faith, there's something we all have in common. From 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, picking up in verse 2, here's Pastor Ed. When the Holy Spirit repeats a word 244 times in the New Testament, we get the impression maybe he thinks it's important. <laughs> it's really, really important, your faith. Now, this is the two words that Paul is honed in on. This is his focus, your faith. Five times here in 13 verses, he talks about the faith of the Thessalonians and your faith and my faith. He sees it as an absolutely critical component. In fact, when Timothy comes back and tells him the church is doing good, he doesn't talk about the church physical building. We don't know anything about the church in Thessalonica, what the building looked like. We know the church, the people, though. He didn't come back and talk about their sound system, the amazing worship band they had, the children's ministry, the pews, the carpet, the songs. He didn't talk about the programs that were taking place in that church. He talked about the faith of the people that were in the church. That's what God focuses on. Paul understands something that's often forgotten today in the church of Jesus Christ. When a Christian is faltering, when he's struggling, when he's lost his way, when he can no longer hear God's voice, what's happened? His faith has been ripped off. Satan can destroy your faith. Well, how do I get it back? You're doing it right now. Faith comes by hearing the Word of God. Now, you can feed yourself. In fact, that's why we teach through the Bible here, so that you'll be able to feed yourself. Go back and read this, read ahead for next time, so that you are hearing yourself in the Word of God, and your faith is being encouraged. Pretty cool system God's built. So Timothy goes there to do two things, to establish and encourage you concerning your faith. The word established here is sterizo. In the Greek language, it's where we get our English word steroids, 
has some negative connotations today because of doping in sports. I don't mean the people in sports are dopes, but that sometimes applies. I mean the use of steroids to increase your performance, enhance your performance. But in this case, it means to make stronger, to make stable, to strengthen your faith. That's why Timothy went. And to encourage Pericoletto to come alongside, to speak words of comfort, to in fact see someone who's struggling and come alongside them and bring them a remembrance of something God has done to you, for you, in your life, or something that you observe God do in their life. You see, we all struggle in this area of faith. There are times where every single one of us will find ourselves in the fear factory that God is bringing someone to you or bringing you to someone else who's in the middle of that so that we can build them up. Verse 3, that no one should be shaken by these trials, by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that we were appointed to this. Don't be disturbed, shaken, unsettled. Don't be deluded because trials are normal. That's what he's saying. We were appointed to this. Another translation says, you know quite well that we were destined for them. <laughs> Whoa. Hard times were placed here by God. Another translation says, trials are appointments, not accidents. Another translation says, you mean God allows difficulties in my life? Why? Good question. To strengthen you. Faith is a muscle. And just like your muscles that need to be stretched beyond their past use. In other words, when you're working out or if you're lifting weights or something, you always try and go a little bit more, a few more reps, a little bit more weight, and you're actually tearing down your muscles. But when you get good rest and healthy food, they grow back stronger than they were before. It's actually a quite vivid picture of what your faith is like in God. That it gets torn down in the process of storms of life, trials, struggles, temptations. But the end result will be that God has done what he wants to do in you, make you stronger. So, Paul is reminding these Thessalonians that it was by divine appointment that they were in these difficulties and that he had, in fact, told them they were going to. Verse 4, for in fact, we told you before, when we were with you, that would happen, that you would suffer tribulation just as it happened, and you know. So Paul says, you knew it was coming, I warned you. I warned you that becoming a believer does not exempt you from struggle. In fact, it guarantees some new ones. Wow, there's a sales pitch. Pastor, how's that working? There are at least three errors in regards to trials, tribulations, persecutions that I hear often. The most common one is probably that real Christians don't suffer afflictions. I hear that from television evangelists all the time. Well, you just learn from the Word of God. You don't have to go through trials. You don't have to go through storms. Sorry, that's not biblical. Listen to Hebrews 2.10. For it was fitting for him, for Jesus, for it was fitting for him to whom are all things and by whom are all things to bring many sons and daughters, you and I, to glory, to completeness, to make the captain of their salvation perfect through suffering. He went through suffering persecution, and so why do we think our life will be any different? It will not, Hebrews 5.8. Though he was the son, yet he learned obedience 
by the things which he suffered. So it was good enough to teach Jesus. It's good enough to teach us. Yes, in the body, he learned these things. God does teach you and I perseverance, strength, patience, obedience, how to comfort others. We can't comfort others until we've been through it ourselves. The error, secondly, of thinking that only non-Christians bring trials into our lives. (laughs) Uh, Persecution does come from the ungodly, but it also comes from people who think they are doing God a favor. It could happen here in this room. could happen out in front. could happen in the parking lot as you're trying to get out and somebody pulls in front of you. And then they don't say nice things to you. I hope it doesn't happen. But the truth is history is filled with people who thought they were Christians persecuting people who really were Christians. 1492. Why is that date important? Well, Columbus sailed the ocean blue. No, no, no. That was the year in Spain of the Inquisition. When real believers and Jews were given six days to leave the nation. Bloody Mary in England, Christians against Christians, and then Henry back the other way. So persecution often comes from believers against believers, or at least people who think they are believers. Third error, error in thinking that affliction means God is upset with me, that God is mad with me. No, it's probably just the opposite. It's probably that God loves me so much he's got to fix something in me. And so he strengthens my faith in an area that I didn't think I needed it in. I'd just as soon he'd pass over. But in fact, affliction is just part of following Jesus. Get used to it. It's part of it. Aren't you glad you came to church this morning? Isn't this a wonderful subject? I didn't write this. Paul did. So we'll just work our way through it. And I think you'll find it's very encouraging to know that everybody else in this room knows exactly what's going on here as you do. Verse 5. For this reason, when I could no longer endure it, I sent to know your faith. Your faith, at least by some means the tempter has tempted you in our labor, might be in vain. Second time he mentions your faith or their faith. Faith again. Faith, big subject in my life. Uh, Many of you know I was an atheist until I was 26. Worked for the other kingdom (laughs) in so many ways. I would say that believers' faith was an irrational commitment to beliefs despite evidence to the contrary. Brutal. But that's where I was. It's definitely not true. Or I would say that faith is just a blind leap into darkness. But in fact, it's just the opposite of that. Faith is a leap from darkness into light. From not knowing about eternity, not knowing about spiritual things, into God beginning to suddenly open our eyes to see spiritual things. It's not that there's no evidence. There's many evidences, many facts to encourage us. Look at the cosmos. Look at creation. Look at the impossibility of material things producing themselves. God has left evidences for us. Brilliant people who are much more intelligent than you or me, who have loved God and served him all their life. Kepler, the father of astronomy, Dutch astronomer, that da Vinci, inventor of the telescope, the one who saw the moons of Jupiter go across the face of Jupiter for the first time ever with human eyes. Sir Isaac Newton, father of modern physics, 
Right on down to men today, like Francis Collins, who's head of the National Institute of Health. Two doctorates, one in biochemistry and one in medicine, an MD and a PhD. Brilliant man, head of the Human Genome Project, head of all of the health departments. A believer, loves Jesus. So there are people that are wiser, smarter, more intelligent than you and I who see faith as something that's tested but very critical to understanding life and making sense of relationships. You've been listening to Pastor Ed Ray on Grow in Grace, providing some encouraging insights from 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 on our faith and the solid evidence for it. Evidence our enemy seeks to undermine. Now with the conclusion of today's lesson on faith, beginning with what our faith is linked to, and then what we have to look forward to by faith again, from 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 6, here's Pastor Ed. Second section, your faith and love together, verse 6 says, but now Timothy has come to us from you and brought us good news of your faith. Again, your faith and love. Now he links love and faith together. And that you always have good remembrance of us, greatly desiring to see us as we also to see you. Evangelizo, we evangelized, brought you the good news, he says. And the good news of your faith and your love. Faith and love are linked together. When you find yourself not being loving, your faith is under attack. Maybe it's running low. Lovely lady came up to me last night. She said, I guess I'm out of faith. I said, why is that? She says, I don't love people anymore. I'm so sick of this world. It's going to hell in the handbasket. Our nation is going to pot, literally. And I don't want to tell people about God anymore. I said, well, your faith is struggling. Let me pray for you. I did. But that's what happens. That's the indicator. That's the barometer. That's the gauge that tells you your faith is upside down. That when you don't love people, when you don't feel like telling them about Jesus, when you don't care that 35% of the world does not have a witness for Jesus Christ, that there are 1.2 billion Muslims in the world that do not have a witness of Jesus Christ, that there are almost a billion Hindus in the world that have never heard the name of Jesus. God has given us this great privilege to go and share his love with them, like we're reading about that happened in the first century. If you are not moved by people spending eternity separated from God, your faith has been depleted by the tempter. And God wants to restore it here this morning. God has sent out couples from this church that have done, I can't name the countries that they're in, but I'll tell you that we have a couple from this church that work in West Africa in a complete Muslim country, at least the statistics. They have two children, preschoolers, and they're witnessing the Muslims every day, and they have led many of them to Christ. We have another couple from the church that's working right in the middle of the war zone, I mean, Iraq, Afghanistan. They have three kids. And right now, this morning, they're witnessing and they're teaching a Bible study to ex-Muslims who have met Jesus. This world is filled with people that need to know about Jesus. He's coming. He's coming soon. We'll talk about that at the end. 
So if you don't love, if you don't care right now, cry out to God and say, God, change my heart. My faith is under attack. My faith and love need to be married together. Satan stole my faith. Therefore, brethren, verse 7, in all our affliction and distress, we were comforted concerning you by your faith. Again, Paul says he himself was encouraged by hearing about how well they were doing. He led them to Christ, so they're still walking with the Lord. He's excited about it. I get letters from, we have a lot of folks that have moved from California. Why would they want to leave California? I got a letter this week from a gal, a mom and uh, her kids and her husband are in Kansas, and they wrote me this really nice letter. They, They were here eight years ago for a long time, and they left eight years ago, and they said, you know, we miss the church, and we watch you on the internet, but God is graciously blessed many people here, and I hear about it. Just want to share it with you so you know that it's working. Verse 8, for now we live. It infuses life into us, Paul says, since, not if, but since you stand fast in the Lord. We heard about it, and we're excited about it. Verse 9, for what thanks can we render to God for you? We are so thankful for the Lord. We thank the Lord for you, for all the joy with which we rejoice for your sake before God. We're excited because you're doing well. I have no greater joy, John said, than to hear that my children walk in truth. And, and Paul's saying the same thing. He's excited about it. Verse 10, night and day praying exceedingly. I pray for you all the time, Paul says, that we may see your face. That very intense Greek phrase, to hold someone's face in your hands and look at them, you know, like your mom did when she pulled your cheeks and said, you cute little thing. That's what it means. And perfect what is lacking in your faith. What's lacking in their faith? Now, Paul's not pointing out that they were in trouble, that he's not criticizing them. He's saying that they're growing like we all are, that nobody has arrived. The sanctification being set aside for Christ is a process, and it takes all our lives. So you're lacking things. I'm lacking things. And don't stop growing. There's more. That's what Paul is saying. God is calling some of you to go to the mission field. You're not going to be able to keep avoiding it. He's talking right now. Don't stop growing. There's more. Verse 11. Now may our God and Father. Now Paul goes into this beautiful blessing. It's really a prayer, the last three verses. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way to you. May he bring us back to you. Verse 12. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another and to all, just as we do to you. So make you grow and love people even more, that your faith would be encouraged. Verse 13, that he may establish your hearts blameless. Blameless? It doesn't say sinless. It says blameless. Well, how do you get blameless? Well, you confess your sins, because if you confess your sins, he's faithful to forgive your sins. That's what he said. His promise is that when we confess, say the same thing God says about what I did. God, I blew it, and it was sin. He says, forgiven, and it's done. It's gone, and you're blameless in holiness before our God and Father. But Paul is talking about something coming. Before God our Father, at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. For the third time, Paul encourages them and you and I that Jesus is coming again. Oh, pastor, they've been saying that for 2,000 years. Yes, but they didn't have the North Koreans 2,000 years ago. Yes, but they didn't have the Iranians cranking out yellow cake. It only takes 22 pounds of plutonium to reach critical mass, and boom we have a hydrogen bomb. Jesus is coming. 
All you have to do is look at the news. He's coming soon. That's what Paul is talking about. And he's coming with all his saints. All of those who have died and left their bodies in the ground, their soul and spirit went with him. And he's coming again. We're going to see that he's coming to bring back and collect all the bodies in chapter 4. Read ahead. It's a great chapter. You'll love it. It's amazing stuff. He's coming, and he's going to take us all with him. Okay, faith. Your faith right now. This moment in time. How is your faith? Best illustration I know about faith is an old one. And you've probably heard it before, probably told by thousands of pastors over the years. But I mean to encourage you with it and ask you to reach out to God for more faith. Okay, so it's a civil war right at the end of it. And a pastor in the South has lost everything. Church burned to the ground, family home, the parsonage destroyed, wife and children gone. And so he decides to push the restart button and go west. True story. It's the dead of winter. It's the last week of January, first week of February, and it's freezing cold. And he gets to the Mississippi River, and he goes to cross the bridge he's familiar with, and it's bombed out. It's gone from the Civil War. And so he walks down to the bank of the river, and he looks out, and it's a sheet of ice. And so he takes a rock, and he throws it out, and it slides across the ice. He looks around for the biggest rock he can pick up, and he throws it out. It hits and slides out. And so he starts to walk out, and all of a sudden, his knees start knocking together, and he's afraid. So he gets down on his hands and knees. Now, I apologize for the theatrics, but I want you in this story, okay? I want you to own this story this week. And so he's on his hands and knees, and river ice like that wobbles. It goes up and down. And so every time he does this, it buckles in this It's a half a mile wide at this spot, frozen. He doesn't know how thick it is. In the middle, it's black ice. It looks like he's going to go through it. So he's doing this, this fast, half mile. His hands are freezing. He gets out to just about the middle, he said, and he hears a noise behind him. He thinks, oh, no, it's cracking, and he can't swim. And and so he he turns around, and he looks, and it's an African-American guy an old black man with white hair. And he's coming down the riverbank in a wagon filled with coal with four horses in front of him. And he's singing at the top of his lungs. And when he gets to the river's edge, he doesn't even slow down. He cracks the whip and the horses pull out onto the ice and he's going along and he's heading right towards the pastor and the ice is doing this. The pastor is ready to die and he comes up beside him. He's singing, swing low, sweet chariot. And he looks over and he says, good morning, parson. And he keeps right on going past him, clear to the other side. Pastor's a little embarrassed. Gets up, step out on the ice. Pastor Ed Ray encouraging us to step out in faith. Whatever God calls you to do and wherever God calls you to go, you can trust the Lord is able to bless you and to keep you. This is Grow in Grace, and we're in 1 Thessalonians right now. For a CD copy of today's message, give us a call at 844-77-GRACE. 
That's 844-77-GRACE. Or listen online at thepackinghouse.org when it's most convenient. And to help you grow in grace, we'd like to recommend Pastor Ed's daily devotional. It's accessible online at thepackinghouse.org. This month, we're featuring an excellent book by our friend in the ministry, Gail Irwin. It's titled, The Jesus Style. When Jesus taught us that the greatest must become like a servant, what was he driving at? We'll find the answer by studying the life of Jesus and his style of ministry. It's totally opposed to our natural leanings, so we need some help. Request a copy of The Jesus Style today and we'll send it your way for a gift of any amount to grow in grace. And please remember, it's your support that helps us bring these teachings to the radio every day. Please consider helping us continue this ministry on this station of yours. Give us a call again, 844-77-GRACE. That's 844-77-GRACE. And I wanted to say again, we love hearing from our listeners. Let us know how we can pray for you and what you're getting out of this study. Tell us your story and how you've been growing in grace. That would be so encouraging to hear. Drop us an email today at packinghouseradio at aol.com. That's packinghouseradio at aol.com. This program is listener supported and brought to you by the Packinghouse Christian Fellowship in Redlands, California. Zion, now filled with hands, and in this place gotta dwell with man. Sick be healed and the crippled stand singing hallelujah. My kingdom built with the blood of my son, selfless sacrifice for everyone. Faith, hope, love, and harmony. I said, let this world know me by your love.